This is a Strategist, episode 815. My name is Zane Veltry. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Guys, happy Sunday. Happy Sunday, Zane. It's happy a Sunday great in August. Day. I spent all the day outside again today. How much outsiding did you two do? Well, um, not very much because we uh, have acknowledged the fact that civilization for 6,000 years has been an entirely successful contest to allow us to not go outside. So I think you guys got this all wrong. We're children of civilization. You want to go live in the woods, you go live in the woods. That's just fine. You guys yeah. always miss out on the fun stuff outside. There is no fun stuff outside, all indoors, all the time, including Corey. What this podcast is really about, which is the 45 seconds off the top where we get to talk about the NBA. Yeah, the bubble NBA continues to be moving along smoothly. It's, it, you know what? It, I, I, the first few games I caught with the fake crowd and the fake crowd noise was a little jarring, but now I think it's just an improvement. Oh, uh, this no, is no. Better. This is, did you know it's not a fake crowd? It's actually a virtual crowd. So you can yeah, apply. Yeah, no, it's, it's Microsoft Teams. You go on Microsoft yeah, yeah. Teams. We should do that with the strategists. <laughs> Yo, what What the fuck, Carter? Why haven't you gotten us? Guys, I already joined. I am part of the crowd. I'm <laughs> yeah. already in. You guys are just coming to this now. I've already been in. I've watched at least three games from outside while I'm, you know, and been part of the crowd noise. It's pretty. None of this makes any sense. No, you, you don't even know your, your one fact strategy is not working regarding the virtual fan. One, no, it's just one this fact is very works cool. all the time. It's really interesting because they have these virtual fans that you apply for your like favorite team from. And then there's a different way. They have a lottery and you get to appear on Microsoft Teams either behind the backboard or as part of a, a section. You have to meet your section ahead of time. Uh People are doing weird shit, like bringing goats uh, on screen. It's 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 excellent. It's really really good. I think we I think we have to replicate this. We have to. Yeah, I agree. We let's, could have the let's same. Let's figure that out for recording. Podcast. Yeah, for recording next week. We Patreon. should we should try to do some stuff. Away we go. We're gonna we're gonna make people pay to be virtual fans of ours, Carter. We won't Listen, have to pay. <laughs> this is what this is how people make money. You guys gotta think outside the box. This is what too much time inside. This is what I learned when I'm outside. Steven, nope. if 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 we had done this podcast for any financial gain whatsoever, we would have done many things differently. Uh, <laughs> least least of which let's just least of which would be the virtual fan strategy, uh, which which I'm sure people would uh, definitely do if we give them uh, a crisp ten dollar bill, uh, which is what we are offering. If you can you can be a virtual fan of ours, and Steven will directly pay you ten bucks. Uh, to sit through our next podcast episode. Yeah, it works. <laughs> I've Good. just been sitting inside uh, making enough money not to have to hustle like this. So it's <laughs> whatever. I'll uh, help you guys out if you need. The podcast is our side hustle and the side hustle to our side hustle is paying people <laughs> to be virtual fans. <laughs> we are excellent at this. I just want to let you know, ZipRecruiter, Keep coming. You've just seen the business strategy. Guys, let's move it on to our first segment. Our first segment, Julie Payette to move in. Get it? Because it's her name is Julie Payette. No, it's, it's, but really, she, it's really good. She, yeah. Her name's Julie Payette, but she hasn't She's moved yet in. to move. Oh, it's very good. Okay, so, so for those who haven't caught this story, uh, Julie Payette, the governor general of Canada, the actual head of state, as many of you would remind me no. from last week. <laughs> no, the representative of the, oh, the actual head of state. Yes, yes. Oh, my God. Yes, we get it. Just qualifier upon qualifier. You know what? I thought I wasn't misspeaking. 
I'm, oh. I'm glad that I'm glad that no one in my family uh, is is uh, is uh, taking on any representative role of uh, of the vice regal. So I just just yeah. thought I'd throw that out there. It's, I'm glad yeah. I know I you know should, this stuff. Didn't they yeah, give you, you a really handy little handout when you became the vice son to the vice regal? Yeah, it hasn't gotten to me yet. In the okay. words of Donald Trump, it hasn't gotten to my desk. It didn't make it to my desk. Just to let you know. Uh, so so. Guys, we have Julie Payette, the Governor General of Canada, uh, embroiled in this scandal. It came out a few weeks ago that her staff, 17 people on deep background with the CBC, had talked about uh, some of her behaviors with her staff. Now it's coming out that she spent quarter of a million dollars for some renovations to Redo Hall, partially for security, another part uh, for, I guess, a cat elevator or a cat staircase of some kind. Anyways, all that being said, she has not moved into Redo Hall. Uh, how big of a problem is this for the government now? Because initially it was interesting. It was fascinating. It's like, oh, look at this PR problem that, that might exist for Redo Hall. But now the, the connection to government seems to be happening. And Corey, I want to start with you. Is this a problem for the Trudeau government? Sure. I mean, they picked a multilingual astronaut because they thought it was cool and it, it matched this vision of Justin Trudeau's Canada. Um, but ultimately, here's the thing about the governor general. It, it's one of those positions that just bleeds into the background most of the time. And, and when you see it, it's usually not a good thing. Usually it means either we've got a bit of a constitutional crisis going on or or a lot of gaffes. And we've had a couple of governor uh, governors general, I suppose, lately who have... Uh, who have found themselves in the in the public eye, uh, Adrian Clarkson, um, Michelle Jean, you know, and, and never really for for great reasons, you know, either it's dealing with a constitutional crisis or dealing with them doing something that people think the the, the representative has no no business doing. Now, here's the thing: it, it's actually a really important job on paper, even if in practice it's not. You open up the Constitution, do your old Command F. You're going to find Governor General mentioned, I don't know, about 70 times to the Prime Minister's five, and none of those five were before the Constitution Act of 1982. All of the power in this country rests with this position. And so um, you you ultimately have to start getting a little bit nervous when things start going off the rails so foundation, because Canadians start saying things like, why in the world do we even have a representative like this? I'm one of them, frankly. I just think it's impossible for us to get rid of the position with our Constitution amending formula the way it is, but but it, it, it makes things awkward for you as a government. It calls into question your judgment as a prime minister. Um, I don't necessarily think this is the biggest scandal facing the Trudeau government right now, but uh, it's, it's obviously something that they're going to have to watch, and I'm sure they're a little embarrassed about. Carter, map this out for us. How big of a deal is this for the PMO? Well, it's, an, it's a problem they don't need. I mean, on, I guess on some levels, it served as a channel changer from their own problems with the we the we charity. So this has now changed it to something different, which which on some levels um, they're not necessarily directly responsible for. I mean, certainly they nominated Julie Payette to be the uh, the governor general. It doesn't just happen. It's not a lottery, um, although. Wouldn't that be cool? Uh, it should be. I mean, take a look at those Oilers 50-50s. Hey, we all throw in 100 bucks, and the winner gets to be governor general. I'm in. Um, but, you know, one of the things that, that Corey listed off is he listed off three uh, governors general who have been uh, embroiled in conflict and scandal and up uptick and uproar and problems. And all three of them just happen to be the three women. Uh, the three most recent, you know, the, the three women who've served as the governor general. Uh, we don't hear very much about David Johnson. Um, 
in part, I don't know that we didn't because we didn't go looking for it. Now he did spend $76,000 in taxpayer money, um, you know, on his expense forms. I mean, he, he's not devoid of spending money. It turns out people in these, in these jobs spend money. Um, I do think that we are far more willing and prepared to be outraged about, uh, our female, uh, governor's general than we are about our male governor's general as, as it is in politics in general. Um, you know, serving, uh, as a female premier or as a female member of parliament or as a female mem- member of the legislative assembly is a different experience than serving as a male. And I, I think that this is one of the reasons that uh, that this has been such a stink. Now, having said that, um, this is now two stories. Uh, this is now back-to-back stories. Uh, the staffing problem has now been kicked upstairs to someone who's reviewing it somewhere. And this this taxpayer money problem is also being kicked upstairs. I mean, if I were Justin Trudeau, um, this would serve as a really nice uh, channel changer. This gets us out of uh, having to get uh, Bill Morneau to step down. So I would be maybe focusing on this a little bit more uh, with my prime minister's office attention. Uh, it strikes me as, as something that keeps the attention off of him. So, Carter, are you suggesting that they go from one scandal to a minor scandal as a channel changer? Yeah. I they, just want to... They should totally chump this. Uh, <laughs> Corey, it, it, what do you listen, think? Listen, it's the working I, I, playbook. Well, I, I don't I don't dispute or contest Stephen's fact that... Uh, that um, you know, women in office tend to tend to get more abuse than they deserve, and, and certainly more than their male counterparts. But there is also something else that ties together Adrian Clarkson, Michelle Jean, and uh, and Payette, Julie Payette, and that's that they're all appointed by liberal governments. And I think there is a difference in how the liberals and the conservatives tend to have treated this office in the past that I, we should acknowledge here. Uh, the liberals tend to try to find a a showy set piece for governor general that represents the country as as they. As they see it and as how we feel, you know, diverse, big, bold, um, you know, and when you have a male prime minister, um, having a female governor general does seem like a nice counterweight if you're, if you're the Liberal Party in particular. So so there, there is that element, too. And there's a challenge with that, because when you get big personalities to be governor general, they are going to find themselves in the spotlight more than the David Johnstons of the world. University administrators don't tend to seek the spotlight. Um, that's just not necessarily something that goes with the job. I mean, there's obviously very charismatic university presidents, but 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 they they tend to comport themselves in a different fashion. So um, so you know, there's the model of the governor general that the liberals have have pushed for the past couple of decades, and there is risk with it. And I think we're seeing what that risk is right now. I think you guys both make great points regarding, Corey, the liberal government, as well as, you know, the the special sort of, you know, the undue uh, nature of, of, of women governor generals as well, and what that's kind of resulted in, especially leading to the conversation on female politicians. That being said, right now, Corey, I'm going to you again, because Carter kind of gave me his answer, and I'll go back to him to get the, the more uh, uh, fulsome <laughs> level of it. If you are in the PMO right now, Right. If you're if you're tasked with issues managing this, if you're a- tasked with saying, is this something we lean into? Is this something we shy away from? What are you doing from a messaging and calm strategy right now in the PMO? Oh, you're not going down with this ship. I think you are you're looking at you're trying to assess the situation, understand exactly how real it is. You're gathering all of the facts that you can. You are you are giving yourself a bit of distance from 
the governor general. You're reminding people of the nature of the role being separate from the government wherever possible. And certainly, I think we saw that with comments from Christian Freeland, I believe it was. Yep, that's uh, right. This Where week. She didn't, she defended the office, but she didn't defend the person in the office, so to speak. Uh, I mean, fuck the office, frankly. But the... Uh, the, the they're doing all of those things, and and I think they're getting ready to uh, to make a change if they need to make a change. They don't want it to be a distraction. Um, they, uh, however, immediately challenged with if they did replace uh, Payette, who do they replace her with? And, and, you know, what kind of challenges may they be introducing if it is, for example, an Anglophone instead of a Francophone or a man instead of a woman? And, um, and, and that is a, not a headache that they need either. So I'm sure they would be happier if this all just went away and we could go on with our lives forgetting that there was such thing as a governor general again. That would be preferable for them. I am quite sure. Carter, but really right now uh, it's about distance. It's creating yeah. distance and giving yourself options. A, do you agree? And B, what else are you... Are you actually seriously suggesting that they lean into this story? Well, I think it is a pretty decent channel changer. It takes the the heat from you and puts it on someone else. It works uh, on a few different fronts. I mean, she's put herself in this position. Why not take advantage of it if you're in the prime minister's office? It keeps you away from the We Charity problem. Um, that's not a bad thing. Uh People do love to focus their attention on, you know, people in, in power. So I guess it, it could be something that you would do. I think that the problem is that then what, right? So let's say that you're successful in getting Julie Payette to, with, to, to stand down. She, she resigns. Now you've got to just nail the next selection. And uh, Corey makes an excellent point about the liberals wanting to uh, select a standard bearer for all of Canada. Um, it's just it's a really hard thing to do. It's hard to find a single person who reflects, um, you know, the entirety of Canada. I mean, Julie Payette on paper is perfect. Uh, it's yeah. just, it's just the the perfection that we've come to expect uh, isn't quite there. And you know, is it worth a couple? You know, is it worth a million dollars or two? Of course. Is it worth some staff leaving? Totally. Is it worth bad publicity? Maybe not. Yeah. Right, Corey. Yeah, I can't. In in support of Stevens, why not talk about this strategy? I can't imagine losing a single vote because you appointed a bad GG. Like people just don't think it's an important job. So you know, you, it doesn't really look like you're imperiling the health system or anything like that. It's it's chatter, but it's not damaging chatter for the most part. Now, it, to to cut against that though, they also don't think it's an important job. And if you are a government that can't solve this problem, that's not a very good look. So if it looks like you are sitting there as the prime minister, theoretically the person who runs this country, unable to rein in a governor general who is spending from the public purse far too much, is is abusing staff, um, when you do have all of those levers where you could solve this problem, that, that becomes a bit of a challenge for them. So I, for that reason, I don't think I would lean into the problem because I don't think they have good solutions. It would be one thing if you, you roped it out a bit and then you had a brilliant selection, and maybe they do, but if you had a brilliant selection for governor general to come in behind, but what did, I don't think that's the case. What does a brilliant selection even look like? I mean, Julie uh, Payette Well, it really, probably looks like Julie Yeah, Payette. I mean, she is a brilliant person. She's exactly what we want. You know, a, a, a STEM-focused female who's achieved everything, who's who reflects the entire nation of Canada. This is exactly who we want. She, she turns out, has some failings, like we all do. Like, God. Well, Carter's... Yeah, it, yeah, go ahead, Corey. No, I was just gonna say she speaks like a trillion languages. It just she seems like a a perfect choice on paper. But we are finding that 
those were different roles. And when you get put in the public spotlight like this, and it's a good reminder that very successful people in other walks of life often do not innately into it the rules of totally. politics, right? Yeah, the how trans- you have to all of a sudden spend no money, how you have to essentially almost take like a vow of a vow of poverty is too strong, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you can't be showy about anything that you're doing. You're expected to act in a certain way. You're expected to fade into the background and let other conversations occur. That's tough. That's tough for people to do late in their career. Yeah, and, and especially when it's perhaps their final chapter and they've been chosen for the symbol and everything they've represented as as the layers of their identities that they've constructed in, in their previous chapters of their life. Carter, I want to go to you on this because we talked about, okay, what the government should do. A, a interesting tension between you and Corey as to what that looks like. What should our friends in the opposition do? If you're the conservatives or the NDP... Is there any juice in this story? Is it the angle that Corey mentioned around a prime minister that can't rein a governor general in? Is it about the liberal HR and vetting process, just throwing a couple of things out there? Is there any hay to be made? I mean, listen, let's be clear, and we'll talk about this shortly. Our friends in the Conservative Party have been very good at expanding the scope on things, everything, throwing everything against the wall. But with that being said, is there anything special or unique about this story that you may want to lean in and get the government to start talking about? I mean, I think it depends in part who does it. Um, I certainly wouldn't want Skippy going after her. I mean, I think that that would look really horrific. Um, but I, I think there's there's probably a theme here that is that is doable. And the theme is um, the liberals and their appointees waste money. But I'd be wanting to find, you know, if you're going to use this, this has to be the single drop jumping off point. This can't be the whole end game. You've got to now go find 26 other appointees who've spent uh, $5,000 or, or $13 on a, on a glass of orange juice. Um, that's, and I think, frankly, the smaller the expenditure, um, the way better this goes. I mean, Bev Oda is still remembered. I think it was a $13 glass of orange juice. Um, 13 or 16. Yeah. yeah it, it, it was less and 20 bucks and she's still remembered for that and those types of numbers are money in the bank right so if you're going to do it you know it's got to be the jumping off point it can't be the end game um so get those researchers going and and i wouldn't be surprised if there was uh some conservative researchers just looking at every expenditure report for the governor general and every other office that's ever been appointed by the liberals um in the you know and, and i'm sure they'll find all kinds of fun stuff Corey Carter's strategy is see if you can tie her to the liberals, see if there's a pattern of spending that you can kind of expand the scope on. What do you think of that? Uh, that's that's reasonable, but I think it's simpler. It's just another example of Trudeau's lack of judgment. Uh, he surrounds himself with, with people who would act in this fashion. The Tories won't want to attack the office, so they're going to be a bit careful about that. They're, they're Tory. That's what we call them. We call them we call the conservatives Tories because they, you know, they're tied to that kind of whole British approach. And the NDP shouldn't attack the office. Nobody cares. It would be such a distraction for them. I think it would be a real mistake if they start complaining about the position of the governor general, knowing that it's just, it's impossible to get rid of. Um, It's, it's, you know, but I'll say beyond any of that, for the same reason that Stephen said, hey, if I'm the liberals, maybe I don't mind talking about this. If I'm the opposition, maybe I don't want to talk about this. Maybe I want to stay focused on we, uh, which is actually looking more likely to damage the liberals and uh, Justin Trudeau in particular. Stephen Carter, you get a phone call. It's uh, Julie Payette on the other side of that phone call. She says, Stephen, I found another $250,000. I think I'm able to spend this money freely on a consultant to help me with my current situation. <laughs> Let's be clear. That that type of money is always welcomed. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. Especially if it can so, be soul sourced. If it can be soul sourced, <laughs> that's money in my bank account. And she says to you, Stephen, let's forget about the issue that this sole source contract would, would actually cause me. But let's imagine no one found out about this. I need to hire you to help me save my job. What are you advising her, Mr. Stephen Carter? Well, I think that she's a brilliant interview. I'd get her, I'd get her out. I'd get her out in front of people. Um, she, is, uh, she is one of the more luminary Canadians that we have in Canada. I mean, she's done... Uh, she's done things that no one else has done. Um, and I'd have her doing things like commenting on SpaceX and j- jumping in on, on the world, uh, the world stage of, of what's going on, uh, you know, in, in terms of development and science. I mean, this is a time for scientists to shine. Uh, we see that with COVID. We see that with the, the chief medical officers. We're seeing that, um, around the world. So stand up and be heard. Um, I would, I would be jumping in there and saying, uh, you are not being seen and therefore other people can tell your story. And then when they ask you the question, you know, what about, Oh, you know, I'm sorry, Madam Governor General, I, I, how am I supposed to, uh, I've got you here sitting in front of me. I can't not ask this question. And they do it all apologetically. Um, you quickly backhand that sucker right to the back of the far court and off you go. You're golden. Like, it's just, it's a simple answer, right? Well, you know, I wanted to make sure that I was safe, my family was safe, that everything was going to, you know, um, work and, and be good for, for my family or whatever the hell the answer is. It doesn't even matter. It just matters that you're saying it. And that, right. so, that would be fine. So turtling away is not the strategy, Carter. You, you suggest she's out there, hey? Yeah, I mean, she's been turtled for three weeks. How's that going for her, right? You know, all they're going to do is keep digging up stuff. Um, I'm sure she's bought something she shouldn't have bought, you know, try, you know, put a expensive report in for something. Um, so get out in front, remind people that you're likable, remind people that you are a, you know, a, a woman to admire. I mean, and she is, this isn't a make believe, you know, kind of a positioning for her. She is a woman that we should look at and go, this is a Canadian that we should all, uh, try and be more like. And if she gets out and tells stories and tells her story, like she doesn't have to go out and do a bio tour or anything like that. She just needs to remind us, hey, I was once an astronaut. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that is cool. Corey, you get the exact same phone call uh, right after Stephen. She's like, I don't know what I think of Stephen. Uh, she offers you the same money. But of course, you say, no, 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 I will do this for free as a service to my country. And unlike Stephen, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't thrown away all my money on virtual fans for a podcast. Uh, so she asks you, what are you doing? What advice are you giving her? Is it in line with what Stephen's told her? Or is it something different? I'd say take all of Stephen's advice and do the exact opposite. That was bad <laughs> advice that you got. It, it, it was advice that you give a politician trying to go on a bit of a redemption trail. It is not advice that you give a governor general who should bleed into the background. And I, I hear he, he he made the comment, yeah, no, I mean, how is going to the mattresses worked for you so far? How has it been, uh, or sorry, not the mattresses, just disappearing, turtling here? Uh because, uh, you know, if, if it was going to work, it was going to work. But the problem is there was more stuff and more stuff came out. So the actual strategy here, the strategy that sensible strategists would provide, not hacks like Stephen Carter, is, <laughs> is take out the trash and then disappear. Yeah, staff abuse, uh, spending money freely. Is there anything else? Uh, because I'll tell you something, if there's anything else and you don't tell me right now, you are going to probably have to end up resigning or being replaced. So just unload it all right now. Take it. Drop it all out there 
and then disappear. It's the summer, uh, and just hope everybody forgets that there's such a position as governor general yet again. That's the best she can do, Corey, hey? It's, it's the smart thing to do. Listen, there's they're going to be – you remember that scene in um, in Pulp Fiction where he's – uh, I, th- I, the thought boxer. Gonna, I thought you were going to say Dave, the movie Dave. Was yeah, be movie Dave. Well, I, uh, no, uh, Pulp Fiction, Bruce Willis's character, the boxer, he's talking to Marcellus and he says, you know that that pain? That's pride. And, and like pride is going to set you on the wrong path here. She wants to go and defend herself. She wants to do the Stephen Carter thing. That's going to be very appealing if you're her and you hear a strategist pitching that. That is the wrong strategy. That's going to get you embroiled in a bigger mess than you're in. And it's time just to shut up and disappear. But Carter. you can only do that if there's nothing else coming. Carter, any retort? Well, I mean, it's just, it's fascinating that, you know, one of us is right and one of us is wrong. And I think that everybody knows who was, who was right. Uh, I mean, it, it just seems like, you know, turtling only serves the government. Uh, she's not beholden to the government. She doesn't report to Justin Trudeau. Uh, she should get out, tell her story, get herself uh, cleaned up from this and then resume, I'm assuming, a job that she wants, um, being the governor general. It's not a bad gig. She should totally enjoy it. As the head of state of this podcast, I'm going to move it on to our next segment. Our next segment, we did nothing wrong. Stephen Carter, I'm going to start with you. This is, of course, the story of Katie Telford and her husband, Rob Silver. Uh, So recently it was revealed that the commercial rent program that was being offered by the government as part of the pandemic relief was outsourced to a company that current uh, liberal chief of staff or PMO chief of staff, Katie Telford's husband, Rob Silver, works at. Uh, The media, or at least a couple of outlets, specifically the National Post and the Globe and Mail, had a little bit of a hullabaloo about this. Stephen, explain to us what's going on here. What do you think is is happening? Because it seems to be that outside of a few outlets, and you can correct me if I'm wrong or if you disagree, that most people are saying there's nothing wrong here. She, She put out the disclosures that she needed to as the chief of staff to the prime minister voluntarily. Uh, you know, they had a Chinese wall between any decisions made regarding this company. It seemed like she took all the necessary precautions. But give us your assessment of, of this current situation. Well, this is the media being the absolute worst. This is the media trying to find another example of the Wee scandal so that they can jump all over it because it got them such high ratings and so many click throughs and so many eyeballs on their stories. And let's be clear. The media chase eyeballs. The same, you know, they're not just out there to put out the news. They're there to gather an audience, just like we're here to gather a massive audience through my subsidizing of the, uh, the, the virtual <laughs> of the audience. Yeah, this is this is our reality in, in in a commercial news environment. They're out to find the next we scandal. So they go and they find this thing and they think, oh, this is salacious. This is going to be a thing. Um, they do their homework. They don't care what is actually in place. What's actually in place is is uh, an ethics commissioner advance ruling, uh, you know, a full disclosure in advance prior to anything happening. Uh, when Rob Silver took the job, Katie Telford walked her ass down to the ethics admission uh, commissioner and said, this is what's happening. What do I need to do? The ethics commissioner gave her uh, a perfect outline of what should be done. And she did it. And you know how I know this is good? Because people from the pundits, people who've worked in government from the left and the right and the center are all watching and and saying this is exactly what should have been done. She walked out. She she declared the potential conflict. She got the advice from the ethics commissioner. She followed that advice. The fact that this company, 
a, a recognized expert in the field happened to win a contract uh, when Katie Telford wasn't involved isn't, shouldn't uh, be a story. And, but the media is chasing their 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 eyeballs, their click-throughs, and they want to mis- misrepresent the news just so that they can get another scoop. And I think it's it's pathetic. It's, and, and uh, I, you know, it, it just frustrates the hell out of me. Did I do a good enough job? I want, I want to be happy. <laughs> Corey has Same nothing even to add. You. Corey has nothing to add because I nailed it. I, I, nailed I it. highly, I highly doubt that. And we'll find out in a second here. Corey, same fundamental question to you. Why, why did this become a story? Or why do you think? Uh, because the media has lost the plot as badly as everybody else in the world. Steven's entirely right. I, you know what? Actually, I will be more charitable. This became a story because they thought they had a story. They chased it down for several days. They realized at the end they didn't, but they'd spent a lot of time on it. And you got to account for that time with your, your publisher and your editor. And, and so there you go. And they posted it. And somebody else said, wow, that's really awesome. And they followed it too. It's not a story. I mean, this is a... It, you could have written this entire story. It wouldn't be very interesting news, but it would have been much more honest if it just said, you know, they did everything right. Um, they they didn't just do everything right. They took a step beyond what the ethics commissioner said. I seem to recall. I believe yep. it's. Yep. They, they, I, I believe the ethics commissioner said, well, given the nature of it, it's not likely you're going to come across it all the time. You don't need a screen for this. And they set one up anyhow. And by the way, Zane, we do not use the term Chinese wall anymore because it's fucking 2020. Uh, but they set up the screen and um, and they didn't even need to do that. Like it, it was better, better than pure. It was better than pure. And they um, and the fact that this is written as they did something wrong is, is totally crazy to me. Yeah. In, in 2020, are white people supposed to tell racialized people about racism? I don't know if that's possible. Corey. No, I, I'm totally I feel like on I your feel, side. I feel, I feel hurt. I feel, I, yeah, I feel triggered. I There's feel hurt. Still uh, you're going to have to explain that because China. I actually don't know where There's the genesis still of it a is. Great wall. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, yeah. You know what? Just because I would Corey doesn't want to recognize it because of his white goggles that he wears, he only sees white culture. It's still there, buddy. <laughs> Uh, so I would recommend neither of you use that phrase, and uh, and we move on Carter, with our lives. Carter, you went a little bit too far there, just to let you know. I guess your anything. own people. I'm just talking about the, the Great Wall in China. Corey, I love your explanation. Can I go back to you for a second? Because I want to talk to you about um, the politics of this and the strategy. Because this kind of seems like if everyone's on side with you saying this is not a story, is there anything for the, the PMO and the liberals right now to make out of this, to try to pivot away from we? Is there anything that they can do to kind of showcase that, look, another proof point as to how they're trying to expand the scope on we? Is there anything you can maneuver or tightrope walk on? I hope that term's appropriate uh, to to be able to 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 take this story and, and perhaps convert it into a, into a bit of a political win well they i think the answer is exactly in your question it's it's to point to it and say this is it i mean they're just they're out for blood it doesn't matter if anybody's innocent it doesn't matter what intentions are it doesn't matter if you do everything right they are going to come after you because you are associated with the prime minister or you are the prime minister or or what be and and we should all look at these things with quite a jaundiced eye because it doesn't matter how pure we are. Look how honestly and well we did here, meeting with the ethics commissioner up front. They're going to have a problem with it. We can do no right, uh, as evidenced by this, as evidenced with We Scandal. But the reality is we followed all of the rules. We were just trying to get money to kids, uh, you know, in a time of a pandemic. We were on the side of angels and we continue to be abused by our, our opponents who are just out for um, 
I don't know, blood, I suppose. This goes back to my earlier point that I made a number of times during the wheat crisis when the conservatives are out screaming that everything is a crisis, everything is a uh, a scandal. Um, this totally undermines their positioning. I mean, Skippy's out there calling for an inquiry I'm into like, this yeah. right now, and it just totally undermines um, the truth and the, and the actual value of the Wee scandal, because this is not a scandal. Um, anybody who's been involved in government, anybody who's been involved as, as a staffer who's ever worked with an ethics commissioner knows this isn't a scandal. They did everything right. Ergo, if you're out screaming that this is a scandal, then the other scandal loses loses some of its shine. And you don't want that. You want to keep everything focused on the Wee scandal because you know what? There's a fire there. Yeah, this this is a reverse chicken little. The sky fell, mm. and then for the next week, you ran around yelling, the sky is falling when nothing is wrong. And and people start saying, well, did the sky really fall back then? I'm not so sure, just given on the number of times they've claimed it now. And, and, and the conservatives need to know how to call their shot. Like, this is very undisciplined opposition that you would jump on top of something like this. You have a former Harper chief of staff caping for Telford and Silver online saying like this is ridiculous and it is ridiculous like what are the rules what additional rules would you put in place to avoid something like this is it just like if you are in any way associated with the prime minister you can have no like you or your family you can have no life besides that part with the prime minister well then you better pay him more than you do exactly i i I mean this is this is part of like a i think a common theme carter and i have come back to a few times this season of the strategists here which is Boy, it, it sucks to be political staff sometimes, and they just make it worse every day uh, with nonsense like this. And you are going to see a worsening of staff, a worsening of participants in politics if you continue to just find new bars uh, of, of higher absurdity uh, that they will fail to meet because they – it's not even because they screwed up, because they're human or anything, because you now have a new standard that is miles beyond the agreed-upon standard. Carter, you know, you're a chief of staff in government. I have this question for you specifically, which is, you see this information come through, you know you're in the right, you're getting the support, as I mentioned to Corey. What, you know, I think we know the message, right? We've talked about what message they need to go out, how they can use this as as perhaps a tool to illustrate that that the media and the, and the opposition are off base as it relates to the Wee scandal. But what exact messenger are you using? What strategy or tactic are you implementing this fact right now? If you're, if you're in the PMO or if this happened to you, what sort of mechanisms are you trying to use to get this message out that, look, this is an example of how they're just after us baselessly? Yeah, I mean, I would use actually the um, all the NDP and conservatives uh, that have stepped out of the woodwork to defend me. Um, you know, the the Twitterverse is is uh, lit up with people jumping to Katie Telford's defense. This is not their normal position. Um, you didn't see them leap to the prime minister's defense uh, during the Wee scandal. Um, they are doing so because they know the consequence of not being able to get staff in the future. And that's what this is all about. Um, this is about mm. trying to find staff that will fulfill these roles. If you need, like Rob Silver, when he when when Katie became the uh, chief of staff initially, he stepped down from his partner's role at Crestroot Strategies. Um, that should not be required. That should not be the thing, the norm for how a uh, political staffer's spouse needs to behave in order to avoid conflict of interest. Rob gets offered uh, what appears to be a a pretty darn good gig. Uh, He takes the good gig because he's very qualified to have the gig. Uh, And all of a sudden, everybody's up in arms. 
this is this is not the way that it should work and it will hurt every political party that intends to govern period Corey, both Stephen and I have had roles where you have to go to the ethics commissioner and disclose everything about your life. It's not a comfortable process to begin with. Every year they broaden it. Well, not every year. That's an exaggeration. But they consistently broaden it. So it's you've got to bring in all your spouse's financials, your kids' financials. And sure, that seems to make sense. But all of a sudden, then it's your parents' financials and your close business contacts' financials. And they're starting to look at your friends in a, in a way that it is broader scrutiny. And the definition of friend is very ambiguous. And, you know, you look at it, and I, I can only speak for myself, Stephen, but I can tell you, when I thought about taking a senior official role, I thought, do I want this? Like, this is just, this is, it's not just, it's not just bad for you, or not just burdensome for you, I should say. And it is burdensome for you. You have to divest yourself of certain investments and all of disinvest, I suppose. Uh, but it, for your family, uh, for those in your immediate orbit, it makes things difficult for them. It makes things difficult for your old business associates who now are probably not going to get contracts with the government as readily because people will say, oh, Lord, is that going to start looking like a conflict in different senses? It's it's tough. It's really tough. And it's not um, it's not a selling point of the gig. That's for damn sure. Uh, and so I really applaud her for going to the ethics commissioner. Uh, we, by the way, I, I, I shouldn't applaud her for doing what's right, but to go to the ethics commissioner, have the ethics commissioner's advice, and then say, you know, I actually want to go a bit further than that. I applaud yeah. her for that. And... Um, and honestly, to have an article still written like this and to have people still coming after you like this, I mean, talk about no good deed goes unpunished. Yeah. Just unreal oh, to me. Good job. And, I, and, you know, I think I'm pretty clearly not the guy you can trust to defend the Trudeau government. But it's just, it just boils my blood. It's just crazy to me that this got published. Carter, finish us off here. I mean, if we start punishing people for doing what's right, they're going to start hiding what's right even more. Right? They're just going to hide things and... Um, we, we need, we need to have the ability to see when people are doing wrong. Um, that's what these laws are supposed to do. This undermines the entire system. Um, and the conservatives need to pull their heads out of their asses, uh, especially Pierre Polyev. It's just, uh, it's, it's a terrible precedent to investigate something that was done, uh, in accordance with the law and correctly. Do you think he's going to be successful, Carter, in that investigation? And I, I know you think he's not going to be helpful, but do you feel like it's it's when I say successful in, in, in getting it and perhaps getting some traction? No, everybody's going to be telling him pretty soon to shut the fuck up, which is what he needs to be told. Because he 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 is uh, I mean, every once in a while he hits a base hit. And he's so proud of himself. He, he gets the first base. He runs later like he's like he's he's hit a home run. Um, er, but everybody's looking at him and saying, "Man, that was a fastball right down the middle of the plate." What are you doing getting a base hit? You got to hit a home run every once in a while. This is going to be pulling himself back, and and it's going to actually hurt. You know the the efforts that they were making in the last fucking uh, in the Wee scandal. And I love Stephen you guys. Carter. Love my analogies. I know you love. Yeah, them. you're just so just like disregarding. All Moneyball, all baseball advanced, you know, analytics for the past twenty years in your clumsy metaphor. Yeah, as a man who 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 purports to go outside a lot, uh, <laughs> that was a pretty shit analogy. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to take a shit on you. You know, I but I like it. You. Not, I stood up for yeah. you. I yeah, jumped you in up. on the China. Okay, whatever. You see, on my I know where I stand. Uh, my questionably uh, uh, racist uh, use of a term. Okay, let's move it on to our next segment, hateration and holleration. Guys, I want to talk about two things related to, to the public opinion. And, and the first one is 
with our public health officials across the country, what we're starting to see, and I think we can start pointing uh, with a conversation here in Alberta with Dr. Dina Hinshaw, uh, you know, is someone who was celebrated during the pandemic in the months of March, April, uh, leading into May as as being the sage advice, the, the leader of, of ensuring Alberta's case count was low, that our hospitalization numbers were, were you know, kept at bay, uh, you know, almost having the premier step aside uh, and, and, and ensure that she was a singular voice. And we saw that obviously in BC as well with Dr. Bonnie Henry. What I think we're seeing now in the summer months is a bit of public opinion turning as the government has, and in both of those provinces have started to make their decisions on things like school reopenings and what time to trigger what phases of the overall reopenings in each province. We're starting to see uh, perhaps a little bit more <coughs> mixed response to to their leadership. So Corey, I wanted to start with you is, is this is this any surprise to you? What do you kind of make of this from uh, heralded as as public opinion, uh, you know, at, at, at the top of their game to now perhaps slipping a bit? Uh, a, does this surprise you? And B, what do you kind of credit it to, so to speak? Yeah, I don't know if it surprises me. It's it's the arc everybody goes on in public administration. You're there until you, you accrue enemies, right? As time goes on, as you make a decision, um, that first decision may be broadly popular. Let's say it's 80% popular. Now you've got 20% against you. Your next decision, let's say that it's 75% popular. Now you've got 40% of the population against you. You just, you build up enemies. You don't build up supporters. And and it's very tough to break out of that mold there. It's kind of that, to use my second movie reference of the night here, you die a hero or you live long enough to become the villain. That's, that's what happens when you're in the public spotlight. Is that from uh, Dave? Yeah, that's from Dave. That's that's a well-known quote from Dave. Um, it's a. Uh, but here's the thing: these public health officials were decreeing big, bold actions, showy set pieces, right? They they were patent. They were out there, yeah, know, demanding yeah. that we make sacrifices and do the right thing. But those build big, bold actions need to be followed up with short strokes, and those short strokes are. They're difficult and they're contentious and, and they they are so complex. And I'll tell you, as somebody who's on like a, a crisis management team within my own employer, it's like you sit there and you think you've got the answer and then somebody brings up something that is so like such a crazy wrench that you never even thought of that gets thrown at you and you're like, okay, well, we better do this instead then or this or that. And you've got to water down your even your bold actions on that previously existed to deal with reality as it is. It's always messy in reality and people don't like messy. And the minute it's messy, they get mad. They turn against you. We live in a world with no nuance anymore. And I pity these public health experts who now have to deal with the public turning against them because they haven't done anything except their job. But you do your job long enough and you're going to have too many enemies. And that's just the way it goes. Carter, do you agree with Corey's diagnosis that this is just a, not, I shouldn't say just a, but partially a factor of, of time and building up enemies as you as you go forward and continue to make these tough decisions? Yeah, I mean, I think that the the doctors were, were giving us advice that we wanted to hear. I mean, there was a there was a great big evil, scary thing out there, and these doctors were were being presented to us as the people who could protect us. And 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 thankfully they have. They've protected a large number of us. But now um that protection that we, we, we saw it, we're we're seeing something different now. And that that's something different is that they're sending our kids back to school 
And, you know, Dr. Tam is talking about physical distancing and mask wearing for two to three years, even with a vaccine. Right, right, and all right. of a sudden, I'm getting some messaging that I don't like. And, and I being the, the, the very large, um, I'm going to say center, center left group that were already with them, right? Like they, they were like, we follow public health regulations. We're on side. We are your people. But this center left group is now saying, hang on a second here. Uh, what you're telling me is is really hard to hear. And I was prepared to stay in my house for a month to got a little bit, got a little bit up there, got a little bit too much. Um, when you opened up, I saw everybody go crazy. I knew this was going to be a problem. And now you're telling me that we're going to put kids back in school and it's my kid. And this is fundamentally changing things because now you're no longer on the side of protecting me and my family. You're now on the side of the greater good because let's be honest, sending kids back to school is part of our societal greater good, right? Um, but how do you do that in such a fashion that you don't put these kids at risk? I mean, the balancing act of this, there, you know, to Corey's point, this is not an easy decision. There are many, many factors. Keeping kids out of school indefinitely is not a solution, but we're not seeing the direction that we want to see. We're not seeing the safety net that we want to see put in place. And that blending also of the pol politics of Doug Ford, the politics of, of Jason Kenney, the politics of, of, of every provincial government that's trying to balance off the finances of this um, with the reality of getting kids back to school. None of this is balancing. And the public health officials... Um, are probably the least equipped to deal with this public outrage and, and figure out how to deal with it. They're not politicians. They're public health officials, and they're struggling a bit. Corey, what do you make of this this theory by Carter that, you know, at the start of this, uh, people saw these public health officials as part of their pol uh, political tribe. They're like, oh, yeah, I agree with them, so they're part of my tribe. And now that time has gone gone by they're they're almost being like well you're supposed to say what we're, we believe like we're in this together and now you're saying something different it's almost like that sort of mentality where they can't reconcile the fact that this is their own person going with their own trajectory and own level of data that they're making their decisions and saying their things uh with what do you kind of make of that well i think that's particularly true of political observers the the hyper engaged in politics who are really just all about sports team this day and and they see a public servant can i tell you something like public servants don't spend their lives determining whether they are a conservative or a liberal they just don't or a new democrat I, I, most people in the world don't but mm -hmm. the the deeply politically engaged do and they can't help but see everything through that lens and it's you know, the day you support what my side is saying, that's great. You're clearly on my side and that's awesome. And, and you're there to protect us against the big bad premier. And the the minute they're making a decision the other way, which is based on all sorts of considerations, they all of a sudden do see a bit of betrayal there. And that's mm. just not fair to the public servant who is not there to align perfectly to your ideology. Now, look, I'm a parent and I'm deeply conflicted about in Alberta, whether, you know, schools should be opening in September the way they are with all of those things out. I do agree with Steve and keeping kids out is not a, a great solution. I already worry about how much, uh, you know, time has been lost in school. But it's it's tough because we also, we don't live in a bubble-wrapped world. And, and I think that the problem is in this world with no nuance, with everything in absolutes, it's any death is too many deaths. You're bringing us... And yeah, these are kids. And, and I think the, the appropriate thing to, the thing to say is, yes, any death is too many deaths. But 
Yeah, we don't have a stoplight at every intersection. We don't, uh, you know, have speed limits of 20 kilometers an hour. We don't uh, force everybody to go around with a bodyguard in case they're going to get mugged. All of these things obviously would make us safer, but we accept a certain amount of risk living in the world. And when a public health official crafts a policy that reflects that reality, people lose their goddamn minds. And, and I really feel... Uh, sorry for those public health officials because they're not trying to get in a political fight. They are just trying to balance off competing interests in a way that protects health uh, with the intentionality and the degree of care that we do in everything else in life, right? There's nothing particularly special about COVID except for the fact we're reacting to it in this dramatic fashion. Carter? I've been listening to Corey. What he's talking about is balance and nuance. And the political system is not designed to reflect balance and nuance. You know, so political Twitter, um, when we look at everything through a political lens and political, you know, like our, our, our political ideological instinct is to see things in these um, black and white models. And unfortunately for these public health officials, this is political. The whole thing is political. It never wasn't political. It, it, it just happened to be um, smaller groups of outrage. And now we're seeing bigger groups of outrage because the people who are at risk, the people who are facing this down as a challenge are now our children. And there's just no way. There's just no way that the passions aren't going to be inflamed when you're looking at children. Um, so I, I'm a bit lost on how they can do it better. But I just know that I think that the, the politicians will be wise to pay attention to the audience as they start screaming about what it is that they want. Uh, Corey, I want to pick up on what Carter just said around the politicians, right? Because while these public health officials uh, from across the country and in our various provinces might not themselves be looking at every decision through a political lens, our politicians are certainly using some of them as political chess pieces, so to speak, right? To ensure that they're cover for certain policies that they want to implement, that they are, you know, on side. Uh, how do you kind of see that dynamic playing out? And is there any sort of risk or or downside risk for whether that's Jason Kenney here in Alberta or Premier Horgan in BC, uh, you know, or even at the federal level, Dr. Theresa Tam, where politicians are injecting their ideology and ensuring, you know, this jives, right? And, and almost not forcing public health officials to go in a certain way, but kind of? Yeah, I mean, as it ever was, right? Uh, politicians use experts for political cover all of the time, right? Whether it is academics, whether it is interest groups who come forward and say, you know, this is something we'd like to do. And and it's the same story. It's just playing out on a much bigger stage, something that's much more dramatic right now. And um, I, unfortunately, um, that that really sort of changes people's views of it just because the stakes are so much higher. And look, if you are a politician, you've got to be very careful because, as I mentioned, sometimes academics get used regularly, sometimes interest groups get used regularly. What you find is if they're used too regularly and they too consistently back up the party, they are seen, to continue the conversation we had in the last round here, as just associated with that party, associated with that tribe, and they lose any kind of persuasive power they have to the other side. And so if you overuse your health official in that fashion, 
the other side, the quote-unquote other side, the opposition, is going to start tuning them out. And that's a challenge. So if you're a public health official, you're kind of caught in the middle. As the premier, you want to be able to point to the public health official and say, we're doing it for these reasons. If you are the public health official, you want to make sure the public is listening to you. And if you are the public, you want to make sure you're getting the straight goods from a health official who's not being kind of corrupted by politics. And that's that's a deeply uncomfortable place for all of the parties to be in because everybody's got to reassess everybody on a very consistent basis. And, um, and I think we're just more acutely aware of it now, but this is the, this is the opera that we're always in. And so I hope that if there's a takeaway people can have here, it's the, the same sort of looking at the validator, in this case, the health official, and, and thinking about where they may be giving or compromising and why and how and whatnot – that conversation is happening with all the validators you see. That conversation is happening with everybody the government trumpets out here. So, so you know, let's use it as a learning experience, I guess. But uh, politicians aren't doing anything except which comes natural to them. They're like the scorpion on the back of a frog. I don't, yeah, that's a good I don't story. Know what the hell that metaphor is. Yeah. <laughs> Cutter, Cutter, within the confines of this segment, I want to talk about another item that's raised here in Alberta about our tribal discourse. And this was recently a news story run by City TV here in Alberta around the fuck you Jason Kenny mug. So oh I don't know God. if you heard about this, yeah. but this was a story uh, that was about this mug that was produced uh, according to the uh, individual who made it, uh, you know, local artisan. She said, you know, it was supposed to be tongue in cheek. Uh, and City TV covered it as a story regarding the eroding political discourse had a political science prof talk about how this this story is a symbol of it uh twitter and and the political zeitgeist kind of took you know um uh took some uh issue with this simply because this is not the first time our political discourse has gone here especially in alberta where we've seen you know uh the same attacks if not more vulgar against uh justin trudeau against rachel notley in years past so carter what do you make of this story as it relates to our conversation of of our political tribalism right now well, I, I, I could not believe it. And, and there was two things I couldn't believe. Number one, I couldn't believe that the uh, that City TV decided to pick this up as a news story. Um, you know, if, if every truck that had fuck you, Rachel Notley, or fuck you, Justin Trudeau on the back of it, um, hang Trudeau for treason. I mean, we've got local celebrities who tweet that. Um, and yet, you know, they're still able to host their... There are parties at the lake because everybody thinks that they're God's gift to whatever. Um, This has been an ongoing issue in Alberta uh, for as long as I've been in Alberta. And I've been in Alberta my entire life. Um, You know, we hated Papa Trudeau. Now we hate this Trudeau. And we believe that they're the authors of our own stupidity and our own demise. So we say, you know, the, the, the vitriol directed at... Uh, Rachel Notley, who, let's be clear, faced the most death threats of any premier in Alberta history. Um, she she faced all of this. That was a news story. Fuck you, Jason Kenney, on a on a on a coffee mug. This is not a news story. And the 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 political science professor who jumped in on this. I mean, at some point, you know, you don't need to be on city TV. Okay, the the 48 people watching City TV aren't going to care that you I mean, do you get paid? Is this part of your tenure? Do you need to get yourself in front of a television camera in order to satisfy your bosses? This is not the story. This was a crappy story. Don't jump on it. You don't have to take the bait every time. Done. Corey, Corey, what do you think? 
So, uh, shots fired against City TV there. Um, we are now founding look, I, a forefront war, just to let you yeah, know. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> look, I, I agree that it's a bit ridiculous that this is the record scratch moment. Like, the music just stopped, and you're like, why? I can't believe it. Holy crap. The the coarsening of dis, discourse has just happened now, now that Jason <laughs> Kenny has, has got a mug that says, fuck you, Kenny. Because you're, I mean, look, Google truck fuck trudeau and see how many different etsy shops come up willing to sell you some version of that right it's because there's a market for it man but look um i actually think that the whataboutism that was thrown about by everybody up to and including carter here of look it was so much worse elsewhere doesn't negate the core point which is there has been a real like the political discourse is awful right now it's terrible the fact that we think saying fuck you insert name of politician we don't like uh, on any front is appropriate, I think is just, is, is really sad. It's really pretty sad. And we've got to do better. Come and on, I'm not defending I, it if, as If it's finally a moment, just, listen, if this is finally a moment where conservatives can see, holy crap, things have gotten bad, good. But let's not then take it as an opportunity for the left to say, oh, fuck you. I mean, it was way worse for the other guys, right? That's, that's to me is pointless and it, it's not very good or First helpful. of all, I think you missed Let's just my- actually all agree and take the moment to say, this is pretty shit political discourse. It adds nothing to the conversation. This is just, this is not even, like, this wouldn't even pass as particularly clever yelling at an arena at the opposing team. Just stop. Come on. Like, put together a, a, an actual political thought. You're, you're not as clever as you think. I get that you think it's kind of fun, kind of cute. It's not. You're just sort of turning off people in the middle. Let's just let's just park the fuck you blanks for a bit. So your your that's my your, your your cogent analysis is to make fun of the people who have resorted to this, rather than the media, rather than the political scientist. The media picks this up and decides to run with this story, and you've come up with well, she shouldn't have said it. Like that's 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 the analysis. We get to say whatever we want to say. We get to say whatever we want to say. The media shouldn't be picking this up and saying, look at how this has really brought down the political discourse at a time when, you know, death threats are the norm. I mean, go and take a look at Derek Sloan's freaking Facebook page. This is a joke. Yeah, this is just, this is just Carter. Carter, if it's just whataboutism. It's not whataboutism. It is whataboutism. You're pointing to something else and saying, it's, well, that's just as bad or worse. That's the definition of whataboutism. It's not fucking good. Stop. <sighs> we all need to stop arguing like this. We do. And look, people I really like, people I really respect, people I'm married to would probably really enjoy that coffee bug. But the, the fact is, it doesn't add anything to the political discourse. I now look forward to having to apologize to my wife at the start of next episode, by the way. <laughs> But I don't think we need to do this. I don't think we need to say fuck you blank to anybody. I just don't think that Listen, adds if anything. If you're still mad about the three years of fucking Corey Hogan, I'm sorry. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sorry. There. That could be really misinterpreted. I'm done. That could. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Let's move it on to our final. I didn't even have to do anything in that that last part. That's great. Let's move it on to our final segment. Our over under our lightning round, guys. Are you ready? I'm still angry. No, I don't think so. Oh. Yeah, clearly. The first time you are not ready, which means maybe it'll be the first time you actually give me numbers and we can move on. Corey, I'm going to you first on a scale of 1 to 10. What do you make of the federal government uh, imposing a $3.6 billion tariff uh, for, for Trump's move against Canada on aluminium, as Carter has told me I have to say? Uh, 1 to 10, what do you think of Canada's retali- retaliatory policy move? No, I mean, I think, A, they had to do it, and B... I- there is now sort of a 
a playbook for when Trump does something like this and applies this tariff, which will just hurt American producers. They don't produce enough aluminum, so they need to import, and we are the closest country, so it makes a bit of sense there. So, I, you know what? I, I give it... What was the scale on, Zane? Uh, it's a 1 to 10. It's a 1 to 10. Oh, it's a pretty I give it an scale. A+. Plus. I oh, give it an okay. A+. Plus. I think that it, it definitely deserves an A+. Plus. And, and look, I mean, it's... Um, it's just here we go again, and we're going to get more of this as we get deeper into election season. Trump is just flailing at this point. He's just doing all sorts of crazy shit. Carter, what do you think of our federal government's response, 1 to 10? Please, please be on the scale. It's totally please. satisfactory. I mean, I think that it's not going to, it's, it's to change anything, um, and I think that the government is now uh, banking on this being a short-term problem. Um, you know, you're only going to have to implement these tariffs for about another four months and then everything was going to shift back to something vaguely resembling normalcy. Um, I think they're going to be disappointed, but you know, nonetheless, here we are. Uh, the world is a crazy place and, uh, you know, we're throwing around billions of dollars with the tariffs, which how is this going to help anybody's economy at a time when everybody in the whole world needs help with their economy? Carter, back to you. Over, under, on six for the federal government. Over, under, on six for the federal government. Alberta and Ottawa deciding to reduce oil sands environmental monitoring due to the pandemic. What do you, what do you kind of make for, uh, for uh, what the impact might be on the feds, particularly? Over, under, on six. I, w- I mean, way under. I mean, I was really quite baffled by this. I mean, I understand what Jason Kenney's pulling at. Jason Kenney thinks that his economic recovery and the economic recovery of Alberta hinges upon oil and gas regaining their previous glory, which, you know, as I said to someone the other day, it's it's betting everything and putting it all on black uh, at the roulette wheel. I mean, this is just crazy. Um, what does Trudeau get out of this? You know, he, he appeals to a large subset of the population that wants stronger environmental protections, not weaker environmental protections. He doesn't win any votes in Alberta by doing this. Uh, there are no votes to be had for him in Alberta. So what the hell is he doing? Um, strengthen those environmental protections. Do not weaken them. I don't give a shit if, if COVID's, uh, you know, making it difficult. It's time to, to do the right thing. Um this and this is not the right thing. Corey, over under on six. Yeah, I mean, I agree. the The thing that the federal government perhaps is concerned about is exactly what Jason Kenney's concerned about. Oil and gas is a huge part of the Canadian economy, and they might be worried about how they can sweeten the pot in that sense and what can they throw to Alberta. But if you're going to do that, uh, reducing environmental protections doesn't like that doesn't create jobs that that maybe increases your your dividend or or the amount of you know net income that's available to you if you're profitable as a company but maybe a, a smarter path here would have been in all of this covid spending to say yeah we will we will provide a, money for additional environmental exactly. protections at this point. Exactly. That will put people to work, that will protect our environment. I, I mean, that to me seems like it would have been a better play. And, and so I, I don't know. I don't get it. I think it was short-sighted and it's just going to to lose him support with people who he needs to support. And, and also with so many big fights on oil and gas coming up, yeah. Justin Trudeau only has so many chips that he can spend on oil and gas uh, benefits, shall we say. And I don't think this was a particularly smart placement of those chips. 
Corey, back to you on this one. Are you in or out? Are you in or out on the comms rollout for the new COVID-19 app, the federal COVID-19 app? If you recall, Alberta, when they rolled out their provincial app, had a ton of problems, ton of issues. But are you in or out for what you've seen thus far for how the feds have rolled out the, the COVID app? As someone who's kind of led comms for, for, for a government, kind of wanted to get your assessment first. Yeah, no, I'm in. I think whenever you roll out anything technical like this, you, you risk the Obamacare disaster, right? And the media is conditioned to look for stories of this doesn't work on old platforms. Oh, somebody found like they were sent a code by mistake, anything like that. There's always going to be something. And so aiming for like a perfect no noise launch is is not possible. And when you consider that, I, I think they did a really great job. And obviously, uh, I think it was good enough that I myself downloaded it, but in a province that it doesn't even work yet. Yeah. Right? yeah. But um, but but you, I think the proof is in the pudding and the fact that even Alberta, who who to Alberta's great credit, was one of the first places to launch an app, um, has said, okay, we're just wrapping up our app. We're going with the federal one after a bit of pouting, yeah. right? After a bit of, why don't you help me first? Uh, has gone to the federal app, just really says the federal app is the place to be. And and if your critics in Alberta can get on board with it, I think that tells you you've got a pretty clean launch. Carter, in or out on the app so far in terms of its launch and rollout? I mean, on the app, I was disappointed by the coverage. I mean, the, the guy with the iPhone that's 26 years old, I mean, like, you know, like, <laughs> it's just it's yeah. frustrating that the media go and find the story out. I really wanted to download it and I couldn't because my app, you know, my iPhone's operating on an OS 3. Like, come on, iOS 3 or whatever. Like, th- these aren't the stories. The, the fact is that most people uh, who want to be able to download this will. It's still going to miss a lot of people, but that's not the point. The point is we got to get as good at this as we possibly can. And this was a big step forward. Um, the federal government did a good job. And, uh, Alberta, after its initial whining and complaining, jumping on board, um, was was pretty uh, pretty smart to do so. Corey, assign this a letter grade. The Liberals have uh, finally turned over thousands of pages on the WE decision. Uh, so the decision-making process, they finally turned over the thousands of pages as part of a data dump. What do you make? Give it a letter grade. I I do not give it a pass. And the reason I don't is that you're setting a precedent here that you're going to drop that kind of information whenever there's a public clamor for it. So it's not so much the particular moment. I suspect for that for the moment, they believe these documents are helpful. But I always worry about the precedent for things like this. And you're setting yourself up future problems if you are making data that accessible whenever an issue of this nature comes up. So listen, I mean, as a member of the public, great. I love transparency like that. As as a strategist, I would say, well, you better be prepared to live with that forever now, uh, because that's the risk. And and that can have all sorts of consequences to cabinet deliberations. If people worry that those kinds of documents could be made public, because they are constructed under the assumption that they will not be made public. And so the advice is more candid and more direct. Um, I, I, there, there could be consequences to that, that as Canadians, we do not necessarily want. Carter, give it a letter grade. Um, well, I mean, I think that it's, I think I agree with Corey. I think that it's probably, you know, a letter grade, uh, C plus, you know, it was something that, that, what are you doing? (laughs) What are you, I'm shocked. This is shocking. (laughs) I always answer the questions you ask. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean? It's, it's, Finish, finish your thought, finish your thought. Go ahead. Oh, um, yeah, I mean, it's, we broke it's, Steven. it's, it's, 
the, I mean, at one point I was musing, wouldn't it be great if we could release every document ever in government and do, you know, and just flood people and just kind of like everything that we ever do, you know, and then have the, the journalists have to sift through it all. Uh, I thought it would be amusing, uh, but you can't because you can't make everything public. It just doesn't work that way because people need to be able to express uh, views contrary to that of the of the ultimate decision. And uh, that does not make for a cohesive government. So I, I don't know. It, it, it's fine. It, they're trying to dig themselves out of this particular problem. It's not going to help, I don't think. Uh, so okay, I'm not a big fan of the decision. Let's go to our final question. A listener question, of course, brought to us by username, an Ottawa listener. That's their username. They gave us, of course, five stars. And that is what renders me to then ask said question. Here's here's part of the review. Okay. Hey, guys. Caught up on, uh, glad I'm caught up on your episodes and glad to see that you're back. Uh, though you're fabulous enough, you do not need to diss Canada Land or the boys in short pants. So giving us some unsolicited advice, which we will uh, not be taking. Uh, and also, I see nothing but City TV, which we started a war with today. Uh, now for the question, Corey. I want to I want to go to you first for obvious reasons because you will you will get this in a second. Uh, now for my question. My son-in-law, a former Alberta resident, thinks that the Alberta NDP should try to merge with the Alberta Liberals. Uh, and, uh, and and I personally feel that this is something that Rachel should not waste her efforts on. Who is right? Corey? Oh, I, I think Rachel is correct. I, there's nothing to merge with. You've got, you've got David Kahn and, and a couple of just diehards holding on to the dream that was a party nobody needed to begin with, right? I mean, the problem the Alberta Liberal Party had from the 90s on is that if if all of a sudden we were all struck uh, totally ignorant of politics and we were creating political parties again for the first time, nobody would feel the need to create an Alberta Liberal Party. It didn't actually like exist for any purpose. And over time, the the political outcomes reflected that stark reality. And, and so we got to a point where David Kahn, who's the leader of the Alberta Liberal Party, in the last provincial election came in fourth in the uh, in the writing he was running, pretty remarkable to come in fourth in the writing, which by the way was a held liberal seat the election before. It was uh, it was the only liberal seat the election before, and then the leader of the liberals came in fourth in that riding. So like there, there's nothing to merge with, and you know the Alberta Party at least I would say has mindshare. People think about it. Organizers muse about what a brilliant idea that would be. They seem to feel that there's some space in the middle. You know, you, you could actually argue there's a reason for that party to exist. I wouldn't necessarily, but people could. And, um, and you know, people exert a lot of time with the Alberta Party and its various iterations. People don't exert a lot of time with the Liberal Party. You're not leaving anything behind by not having the Liberal Party. They show up in polls in between elections by people confused, thinking that it's the federal Liberals you're talking about. But they like how many votes did they get last time? I don't know. I think that between the three of us, we could count them on all of our hands. There's just there's nothing to merge with. 18,546. So, 18,546 in a province of 4.3. The, the New Democrats got 619,147. If you added them together, it, it's like... It's, it's a margin of error. It's a 1% change. I, I, it's just lunacy. Is, lunacy. is that your contribution to the answer, Carter? Do you have yeah, anything to say? I have nothing anything else addition? to say. Lunacy. 
We will leave it there. Thank you, Auto- an Ottawa listener, for your five-star review and your question. Of course, leave us more five-star reviews. We'll, we'll read more questions. Uh, and we'll leave it right there. And, of course, uh, our new offer, Stephen Carter, is offering $10 for virtual fans. And we'll leave it right there with episode 815 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Velji. With me, as always, Stephen Carter, Corey Hogan. And we'll see you next time. 